Hello everybody, Brett Stewart here. A couple quick announcements at the beginning of the program. First of all, we apologize sincerely for being a little bit later in your feed than intended. We did want to start getting these out every single week on Sundays, but we had some technological issues. Long story short, after a computer crashing and I had a couple issues with it, we lost our Field of Lost Shoes episode, and as many of you know... We've recorded a long way ahead of time, so the rest of the episodes are preserved, fortunately, and we're not having any further issues, but we are going to scrap Field of Lost Shoes, and instead, this week, you are going to be listening to an episode on Wilson, so go ahead and watch Wilson and come on back if you would uh, like to be wary of spoilers, because, of course, Dominic and I are going to get into that in this episode. Furthermore, that means the next episode is going to be the bystander theory. You can expect these to come out regularly on schedule moving forward through the rest of the season. We so appreciate your patience. This has been a really wonderful program, and Dominic and I are thrilled to see the feedback we're getting on the show. Now, also, uh, for Field of Lost Shoes, if you did end up watching it, because we did announce it at the end of last episode... Uh, Dominic asked me to essentially give a, a rundown of what we thought of that film. And long story short, Field of Lost Shoes is a little bit of a troubling film. Uh, at times, it feels more like a made-for-TV film, and it's overly sympathetic to the Confederacy. I think Dominic and I would both agree that it tries to put a light on the Confederacy by arguing that certain characters are actually fighting for their farms and their and their homesteads and those are the same kind of arguments that are made for keeping up statues of of confederate generals and that's not really a good reason to do that or to make a movie like that so if you want to go and watch field of lost shoes i would encourage you to do it it is an interesting film but i think the direction of the film is concerning in the fact that it it tries to argue hey confederacy not all of them were bad people it glosses over quite heavily of the horrible issues of the south during the civil war so go ahead and watch it if you're at all interested i don't it's a movie (laughs) that tends to be the the consensus dominic and i often come to anyway enjoy this episode on wilson and again next episode is going to be the bystander theory thank you Hello, hello, hello. My name is Brett Stewart, and you are listening to another episode of Silver Screens and Politics, the show where every single week we delve into a film that combines politics and the silver screen and movies. And we talk about whether or not they're authentic, whether or not the performances are good, whether or not they are historically accurate. More than often, they are not. And that's what makes our discussions a lot of bit of, uh, a lot of, bit of fun. A lot of bit of fun, Dominic. Uh, a lot I'm, of bit of fun. I'm joined by Dominic Jacoki. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well, despite having to have watched this week's movie. Uh-huh. This is the second week in a row now where I have felt somewhat accosted by the film. <laughs> now, now I, I should preface that with Field of Lost Souls, I refuse to call it Field of Lost Shoes. It's a dumb name. A, they're both dumb names, but that's the better dumb name. That film offended me on like a personal societal level with its deep sympathy <laughs> with its like deep seated like southern sympathizing sentiment. This film just offended me because it was two and a half hours long and also has southern sympathizing sentiment a little bit because you know he's from the south, Mr. Exactly. Wilson. Mr. Wilson. So, why don't you tell our listeners what movie we're watching and why we watched it? So, because I still don't know, honestly. 
So we watched Wilson, and that's a biopic of Woodrow Wilson from 1944. And we watched it because it's a biopic of Woodrow Wilson from 1944. Nice. And he's never had another movie about him. Not really, no. No. And it's just like this anomaly of a movie where it was a big deal. Like, it was made for a lot of money, and no one talks about it, ever. With good reason, but still. (laughs) So this film uh, was a box office flop. Despite well, it wasn't necessarily a flop, it didn't do that well, though. And they considered it a flop because at the time it was the most expensive movie ever made, like dethroning Gone with the Wind. Yeah, almost three million dollars was the budget, and it only made two hundred. Uh, sorry, two million. And like, keep in mind, this was during the World War II, so that's probably even more of a hit. Yeah, absolutely. This came out uh, especially during the American involvement in World War II. Uh, this film is not good <laughs> it's definitely a product of its time it I is don't... a product of its time it is in technicolor we should we can say that and it's the poster w- says that the poster actually does say that in it says wilson and technicolor so you know because daryl f Zanox wilson and technicolor exactly now the technicolor is quite beautiful and that's something we can talk oh, I about love technicolor. a little bit later but to give people a bit of a rundown of what wilson 1944 is The story begins in 1909, when a young Wilson is best known as the head of Princeton University and the author of several books on the democratic process. Urged into running for governor of New Jersey by a local political machine, Wilson soon proves that he is his own man, beholden to nobody, and he is dedicated to the truth at any cost. Now, what I discovered very early on in this film is just how, like, blatantly it shows you backroom politics like to an extreme level like there's a scene where like it's at the convention for the governor right and correct he's being nominated for governor he's making a speech Wilson and people are asking him about like the local political machine and he's just like denouncing them and it's like a big show of like I will be my own man I do not need these people even though they ask me to run for governor <laughs> And keep in mind, like, to backtrack a little bit, the scene in which they ask him to run for governor. They is, just go to his house and they, just like, hey. Is the most back party politics scene ever. <laughs> They're just all sitting there, like, nursing brandy, uh, plotting out the future of their constituencies, knowing full well that whoever they pick, they are going to get people to vote for them. And there's a, there, in that scene, when he is giving his first stump to essentially run for governor. There's that great scene where what the guy says, I got to scroll up here to the shit I was sending you when I was watching this movie. Oh, it's it's Uh, the the scholar quote. Yeah. He's a different kind of politician, an academic, a scholar, great for electioneering. And there's a whole debate about whether that's even like a good thing her to be smart and scholarly. Right. That came later, but still it's like, man. Yeah. Woodrow is a, is a, is a fickle, uh, person in this movie he is very unique he is he is very uh he he is very very romanticized very like like dominic and i were talking <laughs> in the pre-pre-show you call him pure i called him pure well he is pure he's just a, like a docile little like baby doe is there anything wrong with him like a, nothing, aside from what happens in the end aside from his health there is literally nothing wrong with him in this movie at any point he is literal jesus um, like he has like he could might as well just have like a halo and like wings and yeah. fitting. There is he is he is such a god figure in this movie, and I think that's one of its 
And here's my problem with that is that there's no depth to that either. No, like nothing really bad happens to him for at least a good hour in the film. A and B, most of the dialogue is just pull quotes. Exactly. It is. It's so pull quotey. It is like it, it. It actually feels like the movie was written like by one of those books that you keep in the bathroom that has like inspirational quotes so you can open it up while you're taking a dump and like feel good about yourself and then go back go about your day. So let's talk about the Oscars in this movie. <laughs> let's talk about let's move from taking a dump to the Oscars. I mean, there's a reason, and the reason is this Oscar the, this movie won the Oscars in 1945. Five awards out of ten. It's nominated for ten <laughs> awards. Which ones did it win? Well, let's just say first of all, it's the it's considered the only major flop to get ten nominations and five wins. But the biggest win is best original screenplay. Yes, best original screenplay, along with cinematography for color, right? Best art direction and interior decoration for color, best sound recording, and best film editing. Can we talk for a brief moment how cool it is that the, you had you had the breakdown categories by whether or not the film was in color? That is pretty interesting. That is so cool. Okay, uh, and the things that it lost but was still nominated for included best picture, best director, best actor, best music, which we'll get to, and best effects and special effects. What are the special effects in this movie, aside from the scene where they're driving in a car and it's very clearly a green screen? The crowds, maybe? Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think they're fake, though. I don't think they had that yet. Do you think they could, like, replicate it somehow? I don't know. I remember Gladiator came out in 2000, and we all thought that was hot shit because they made fake crowds. So, like, I don't know. Like, that's, this is the thing. If this movie is more expensive than Gone with the Wind five years later, where does that money go? To a lot of extras, maybe. Maybe they were giant crowds. Maybe, but like Gone with the Wind, you could tell where that money went. That True. movie is four hours. It's the first color movie, basically, and it's beautiful. There's so yeah. much happening in that movie. And we don't actually have a budget breakdown for this film because but this like, film, while this film has been, uh, we should say that the Turner Classic Movies has saved it in their collection so they can air it on cable at I mean, Fox, four in the morning. Fox releases it in their Cinema Archives DVD line, which is basically, you know... Like shitty Criterion Collection. Yeah, if you want the DVD, here it is. It's just the movie. Right. So um, this is a movie that, that while not necessarily revered, uh, is looked upon fondly by the industry to an extent. I mean, it's, it was a flop, and flops are never really like appreciated that much. Until, well, they're not appreciated until... Yeah, the fans appreciate them. Until we derive so much influence from them that they're no longer a flop. I mean, I think this is mostly a forgotten chapter in, like, history. And I think TCM runs the the movie because it won a lot of Oscars. Yeah. And it's a movie about a president. I bet my grandmother loved this movie. (laughs) You think she saw it? I'm sure she probably saw this movie. I feel like this is a movie that grandparents would enjoy. When they were kids? I feel like now i feel like now they'd enjoy it it's like the it's like the political version of of like what like it's a wonderful life it just wants to fill you with joy about how great woodrow wilson is but the guy in it's a wonderful life was much more entertaining and cool that's true i love it's a wonderful life <laughs> so like so the guy who and alexander knox who is the actor mm-hmm. who got an oscar nomination for me he's the best part of the movie i agree like he, like he pretty well embodies Woodrow Wilson, even though the script is not deep. He doesn't get a lot of like interior, like feely scenes. He still manages to come across as the guy. Yeah, he's he he gives a great performance. I actually think in a lot of parts, even if 
the script does not necessarily serve him well. Right. He's just like there and the script is trying to catch up. Exactly. Yeah. And especially as you see, you know, Wilson dramatically aging over the course of this film, because one of the things we are going to talk about is that it's just a series of like point, pointless vignettes where it's just like he's running for governor. He's he's governor. He's running for president. He's president. Right. There's nothing standing in his way. There's nothing giving him like a problem. It's just like, oh, we want you to run for governor. You're governor. Yeah, there's like a very... Run for president. You're president. There's like a very brief moment at like the Democratic convention of his first presidency when they're like, they might, you know, it was like William Jennings, William Jennings Bryant might throw the delegates away from you. And he's like, nah. And he wins. Yeah, it's like it's like pointless buildup, but it's like we know what happens. Give us more than that. <laughs> right. And there's a lot of scenes where it's just like they talk about stuff and then they don't show it. And then it's just like after they talked about it. Like there's one scene toward the end. I don't know if you want to spoil it now. Okay. Like where Wilson has a stroke. Yes. Let's talk about the stroke. And that's like the end of his presidency when he's trying to get the league of nations passed by America. He has a stroke and they go to Mrs. Wilson and they're like, you need to run the country while he's recovering. And that's a great premise for a movie. Keep in mind, they, 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 they BS her in the fact that they're, they're trying to convince her like it's for the country. It's for the nation. Well, no, it's for party politics. And it's like the last 10 minutes of the movie. And I feel like that could be its own, not only like segment, it could be its own movie. Yeah, I totally agree. It's Dave. <laughs> no, but it's like the wife of the president running the country while he's recovering. I think that's just a cool idea. And I feel like they just wasted it. They did, especially. And especially because they, the film, I, I feel like if you're not too politically savvy, you might actually believe what they're telling her. And I think that's problematic that the film does not show you that what they are telling, you know, Wilson's wife is is really what they're really saying is keep party politics in line don't screw this up for us yeah we can't have him leave now because he's too important for us exactly and we also can't have him we can't have people know that he's had the stroke there's a very interesting like FDR parallels because when this movie came out he was still alive right but like within a year he was dead yeah absolutely and uh, FDR is particularly interesting because during this time, people wouldn't have known that any FDR was going through a bevy of health issues. Uh, FDR oh, yeah. is one of those things that we learned about 20 years later when we started seeing photos, uh, very similar to something like the Holocaust. You know, people didn't really figure out the Holocaust was kind of a thing until the 60s and 70s uh, in America because we just don't, there wasn't access to information like there was back then. And a president, whether that be FDR, whether that be jfk they could hide behind a, behind a screen and and do it fairly effectively where you can't do that nowadays so let's talk about that stroke scene uh the scene starts with him rambling about how well let's go back a little further than that okay so it's after world war one's ended he's trying to get his basically proto un into fruition which is the league of extraordinary gentlemen the league of nations same thing and that's like his last thing that's what he wants most of all and so, you know, he's the one that came up with it and all the 14 points and everything. Every country has approved it except for the American Congress because they're isolationists. So in order to get the public on his side, he goes cross country. And I have the figures written. He went to he gave 40 speeches in 17 states in 22 days, according to the movie. Wow. And that's also what I put <laughs> after that. Wow. <laughs> and. He gets to some place called Pueblo. I think it's in probably Utah because they showed Salt Lake City. At Pueblo, right it's that. Colorado. Is it Colorado? It is. 
Then set up it was in Colorado. <laughs> but he yeah. gets to that one and he just and he gives a speech. What about a speech? You're saying? He gives a little bit of a little bit of a stroke. Uh like he's rambling and he's kinda just anyways he's like we went before they went across the sea and we talked to these boys. He's like, he's like, I want to tell these boys and I'd put them in a field. It'd be, a, it'd be a great, it'd have to be a pretty big field because there's a lot of boys and you know, we're going to have to deal with that logistic when we get to it. I'm, I'm obviously I'm, I'm extemping right here. And he gets getting, uh, he keeps getting angrier and, yeah, and he angrier. Keeps getting angrier and he keeps talking about like, and they're across the sea. And it's like, yes, we've established they're across the sea. We've established you're going to put them in a large field. Apparently. I think he was trying to say um, like about talking about like mass, like fighting for your country and dying for your country or something like that. And you can tell he's leading up to some sort of apology about world war one that he's like, this was, this is like, I, you like what you died for was purposeless. And he's like uh, he's like wobbling this whole time. And he's like, like wobbling and like rant and like kind of like like he basically basically when he's giving the speech, he looks basically like what Trump looks like giving every speech, uh, just confused and disoriented. Even more so, I would say. Like, Even more so because he's acting. <laughs> because he's acting. <laughs> right, right. And the actor is acting. The actor is acting. And then there is the there, which is the oh, <laughs> which one? Dun dun dun. But anyway, Wilson. Silver screens and politics at gmail.com. Yell at us. <laughs> okay. Uh, but then Wilson like gets up to his climax and he's like, I will. <laughs> that peaked. I'm sorry. But he says that and then he like stops and the dramatic music plays and he's like had his stroke in that moment. Yeah. And he's like, well, thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you for coming. Exactly. Now. Okay. The, the quotes in this movie, I want to talk about a couple of them. I wrote down so many. Some of my favorite quotes include, well, my favorite quote is uh, when he wins his first, his presidency. And the boys, the boys from the local school. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know what the school that is or where I they think, are. I think it was supposed to be Princeton. Sure. <laughs> They come out and serenade him. Then they say, like, they're, the boys, they're the, serenading you. The boys, the, no, no, the quote is, the boys, Woodrow, they're serenading you. And they're, like, deep baritones and, like... Yeah, and then he comes outside and gives the most, like, rousing, uh, like... And I, I use rousing sarcastically. He goes outside and he's like, I'm not going to thank anybody. This is now a burden that is upon me. Good night. And then they sing Hail to the Chief for the 50th time. And they sing those kinds of songs a lot. Hail to the Chief. Uh, <laughs> there's so many oh, patriotic man. songs in this movie. Yeah, there's just a lot. Like, uh, like, in a, like it's like there's that, and there's like the Princeton boys cheerleading. There's a lot of that too. There is a lot of that. And like, okay, what were some of some quotes you liked? Um, so one I was talking about, right? I think uh, I think I think you had to keep it in the pre-show when I said it. Um, about. How when the Lusitania sunk, some politician called it the most dastardly crime against any civilized country, or permitted by a civilized country. Or does something. he call it that? Yeah, what Wilson does. No, someone to Wilson oh, or something. Okay. Yeah, and because it's like, like the most dastardly crime. It. Okay, Lusitania. Okay, <laughs> nice. Minus the whole slavery thing. So let's talk about racism, because so. <laughs> oh yeah, give me some more quotes actually before we delve into racism. Uh, was, let's see, some more quotes in this section. The man on horseback is always a hero. Okay. 
Um, and then there's the one, the the one woman who always is around the White House, and she's always like, "Yes, cousin. Yes, cousin Woodrow. Hello, cousin Woodrow. I hate her. I'm establishing you're my cousin. Hello. <laughs> I'm providing exposition. <laughs> or there's the one where it's like when um, Woodrow's wife dies and he's in office, or right before he's in office or something, and um, she is talking to her daughters as she's dying, and she says, "Your father is a great man." Make sure he's not a lonely great man. Mm. And then there's the whole subplot of him trying to get married again, and then they're like, "You won't get reelected. You won't get reelected. He will get reelected." <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> like, let's talk about racism. Okay, let's talk about racism. Further on conversation from last time. Uh, racism is uh, is a thing that this movie doesn't want to acknowledge that Woodrow Wilson did not necessarily have the best oh, it track tries record to, it with. It tries to completely reverse it, but talking about how for like other the people's people rights is. is. Right. Something for like the rights of others so much. Yeah, so ridiculously much. When in reality, while he never um, necessarily denounced things like the KKK, there, there's always been rumors that floated about about whether or not Wilson was in the Klan at some point. But uh, putting that aside, he never necessarily denounced racism in any significant capacity in any of his policy. He said he'll have his wife think it over, and she never did. She died. Okay. <laughs> That's another good quote. I didn't know how to respond he, to that. I was like, Patrick, wow. That's another good quote. Is like when he's first asked to run for um, governor by the <laughs> back deal people, he's like, I'll have my wife think it over. <laughs> it's like when Pence calls his um, wife mother. He calls his wife mother? I'm pretty sure. Really? Look it up. Is he like motherkins? I need some more. Look it up. Look it up. Dessert. Right, right On this podcast, look it up. Okay. You talk while I'm doing this. So he's got a lot of good quotes like that. Um, let's see. Another one when he's um, at Princeton still. He's talking about how he wants everyone to be on an equal footing for everyone. But he doesn't like special privilege. But what is special privilege? They don't really go into that, but it sounds vaguely like um, what we talk about today and what people believe special privilege is. Uh, he talks about how he's a Southern Democrat deep in the heart of a Yankee state, being New Jersey. Oh, I'm so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> this is a thing. When did you hear about this? Several months ago. I think when they were first interviewing him after he won. Oh, my God. All right. Someone of Rolling Stone reports. When Mike Pence was governor, his relationship, uh, sorry, while Mike Pence was governor, his relationship with the Democratic minority in the legislature was crap. Somebody on his staff suggested having the Democratic leaders over to the governor's mansion for dinner. The table was set for 20, but there were only around seven in attendance. One unlucky legislator stuck right next to Pence, tried to make conversation, but found even at dinner she couldn't shift Pence off his talking points. Governor Pence shouted to his wife, Karen, his closest advisor, at the other end of the table, mother, mother. Who have, what have we prepared for dinner this evening? I don't know why he's Oliver Twist. Um, <laughs> the le- <laughs> Please, sir, can I have some more? Uh, the legislator looked at one another, speaking with their eyes. He just called his wife mother. Maybe it was a joke, the legislator re- reasoned. But a few minutes later, Pence shouted again. Mother, mother, whose china are we eating on? <laughs> Mother Pence went on a long discourse about where the China was from. A little later, the legislators stumbled out, wondering what was weirder, Pence's inability to make conversation or calling his wife mother in the second decade of the 21st century. I am so happy we just went in that rabbit hole. I'm going to cherish that. I'm going to ch- I'm, I'm bookmarking this. 
forevermore. Here's another good quote from the Wilson movie. Medical science is not the last word, Mr. President. <laughs> Referring to his wife dying. Right. And and his wife dying has no gravity. It's this place that's killing her, he worries, that because he's president and now she has to do first lady stuff, that it's killing her. But then we don't really get to know that because they never show her doing anything. No. She never I wasn't anything. even I didn't know I wasn't I wasn't actually like I knew she died because there's a scene where she kind of dies. I mean, that's like the worst part is like they have like a scene where it's like oh she's resting now and then they cut to a scene of like people entering a place and like a butler opens the door but they never establish what place it is or yeah, where it is they just allude to it being the funeral it's yeah it's implied but that's it they don't even show like, and then it funeral. moves right on him moving along to attempt to re-erect um <laughs> the most expensive movie of the time can not even show a funeral for no. the first mrs wilson uh, and he's on the balcony of the Rose Garden, and he's like, hey, uh, Katie, I don't know if that's her name, but that's going to be her name right now. I think you're real fine. Would you like to be my wife? And oh, Katie's, her name is Edith. Edith. Uh, that's such a... That's, this is much later. That's such an early tw- <laughs> 20th century name. I don't remember how they introduce her as well. Like, her care, like his daughters introduce, and like his cousin maybe. Oh yeah, they yeah. introduce Edith to him, and they like build her up as like, oh, she likes the same things you like, and she's just like you, and it co- it comes across as like they're trying to like railroad her into the White House for some nefarious <laughs> purpose, which she actually asks about on that balcony. She's like, "What do your daughters think?" And he's like, "They're down the clown. They love you." Well, like the whole like the movie, it's so gung ho about having Edith suddenly there that it comes across as, oh, she's gonna do something. Yeah, and he like, and she actually rejects him. The yeah, first time he asks her to be with him and she's like, I don't know you that well. <laughs> yeah. We've known each other for like a couple months. So there's that. Okay. So a couple things here. First of all, just so we can clarify. Oh, one more thing. I'm so yeah. sorry. Fuck you. No, I don't believe that. <laughs> there was a, a quote when, they, when Edith was first introduced that she said she was a descendant of Pocahontas. W- really? Yes. Is that a thing? They called. She said she was a descendant of Pocahontas as like a way to build herself up, or like I think they might have said it of her, but that was a oh thing. Oh my gosh! I need that to figure out up. if I'm a descendant of Pocahontas. Like I've like I've like four percent Cherokee, so maybe like most white people, like most white people. So I mean, and I don't. And, and keep in mind, I have no idea what the difference between Cherokee and the majority of other of uh, American nations actually are. Think of them as like they were once nations, and then we just didn't care. <laughs> and then we just didn't care, and also we had guns. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish I was uh, alerted to like my. I don't know where I'm going with this. I wish I was Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just think it's funny that like of all the things they could have talked about with race involved, that was like the one thing. <laughs> I am part Native American, kind of beautiful. So I'm reading a little bit of a of a historical backdrop to this uh, President Wilson suffering a stroke. He did do that massive tour. Right. So that was a real thing, and that is what killed him. I, I remember reading about that stuff. I was kind of impressed at the time. Yeah, it said the president appeared on the rear the rear platform, delivered a speech to the, gather, to the gathering crowd, and the train sped up on the next stop. It was a grueling schedule that began its toll on Wilson's health. Severe asthma attacks and splitting headaches started in Montana and Colorado as headaches almost blinded him. Finally, in Wichita, his doctor found Wilson close to a, quote, complete breakdown. 
Oh, was that like the part in the movie when they when they talked about his health but didn't show anything? Yes. And then they have that stroke happening. And yes. They don't show anything except for that. Exactly. On September 26th, the train sped back to Washington to give Wilson a rest. This was 1919. Uh, for 17 months, the enfeebled president lay in his bed on the brink of death. Enfeebled. Death, uh, barely able to write on his own. The outside world knew none of this. All communication with the president went through his wife. She entered the sick room with messages and emerged with verbal instructions or the scrawl of a signature on a piece of paper. Edith Wilson called the period her stewardship. Later, others called her the first woman president. The Senate rejected the Treaty of Versailles with its provisions for the League, although Wilson's health improved. He never fully recovered. So that was a thing that actually would have been very compelling to show in it would a have movie. Been really interesting. That was not in this movie. Oh, can we talk about another scene where um, Wilson and Edith are just helping the boys go into war and they're at some yeah. diner? Yeah, like, where, where are they? And so, like, there's a bunch of soldiers and they're coming to this diner mess hall thing and Edith is there and they're like, then the one guy comes up to her and he's like, they're telling me you're like the first lady. You don't look nothing like her, I would imagine. And she's like, no, I don't, but I am the first lady. And yeah. then and then also Wilson's just there behind her helping out. Yeah, just being a nice little bartender. And then he gives, he like talks to them and he talks like, one's like, oh, I'm Irish. One's like, oh, are you German? Oh, yes, my father was German, but I'm American. Nice. And then... After he meets all these white soldiers, he gives a speech and he says, here we are, men of all races and of all ancestries. All you white people, where are my homies at? <laughs> okay, can we just talk about that? There's like, there's not a brother in this movie. <laughs> like, Did Wilson have a brother? No, I mean, there's no one oh, of color in this movie. Well, there was the butler. There's the butler. There is one butler scene where the butler comes in oh, and it's yeah. like, yeah, my ancestors... Knew, or, the, knew your first, la- the or, original first lady. Did your yeah? Did your laundry. laundry? And that is the extent of people of color in this film. And she didn't even recognize him. And she didn't even recognize him. And it's such a condescending scene. Well, I mean, only person of color except for Edith, technically. If you want to get technical, being a descendant of Pocahontas. Oh right, right. She's Pocahontas. I forgot. So <laughs> she's the real Pocahontas, not Elizabeth Warren. The real Pocahontas. <laughs> It's a Run DMC album. Okay. I'm so sorry to anyone who's offended by that. <laughs> uh, Silver screens and politics at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the music a little bit, too. What music? I want to. Okay. So they, they play a lot of music in this movie. But it's all songs that already exist. Yeah. But they do a lot of it. Like, there's a lot of, like, glory, glory, hallelujahs. Over, there's a one instance of over there. A lot of Moonlight Bay. A lot of Moonlight Bay. A lot of Hail to the Chief. Right. I, what I'm going to do at the end of this episode is I'm just going to stick, like, 20 seconds of my Moonlight Bay at the end of this. Yeah. Because on one of my records, I did Moonlight Bay in a very similar arrangement to the way they do it in this film. Because it's a much older f- song than than it actually was even when this film came out. Right. Uh, or when Wilson was alive, actually. I only remember one instance of like original music, and that's the scene where they're signing the uh, Treaty of Versailles. Oh, right, yeah. And it gets really ominous, like, dun-dun-dun. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, is this like the Senate rejecting it? Oh, no, wait, it's just everyone signing it in Paris. <laughs> right. Can I get the soundtrack, do you think? I don't think there's much of one. Well then, Dom. I mean, it's just <laughs> Hail to the Chief over there, Moonlight Bay. 
<laughs> yes, that's basically you it. The, you can get the soundtrack anywhere else. But the other music ways. is by Alfred Newman. What else has he done, Brett? Tell us. Alfred Newman has won nine Academy Awards, nominated 43 times. <laughs> start From his start as a music prodigy, he became regarded as a respected figure in the history of film music. In a career spanning more than four decades, Newman composed a score of over 200 motion, motion pictures. Some of, his, some of his most famous scores include The Hunchback of Notre Dame, The Mark of Zorro, How Green Was My Valley, Captain from Castile, All About Eve, Love is a Splendored Thing, <laughs> Anastasia, The Diary of Anne Frank, How the West Was Won, The Greatest Story Ever Told, his final score, Airport, uh, won additional Academy Awards. This dude would got around... So did the director Henry King, who's known for other great movies like The, the Snows of Kilimanjaro, Carousel, Love is a Many Splendored Thing, uh, Wait Till the Sun Shines, Nelly, cl- I'd Climb the Highest Mountain, The Gunfighter, 12 O'Clock High. Wow, that's impressive. So, and of course, the song of Bernadette. Right. So let's let's close out uh, as we start to round out our conversation. Oh, are are we done already? It feels like we haven't even gotten started. What what else do you want to talk about? So, <laughs> just a long drawn out sigh. It's interesting that two weeks in a row, totally not like what I intended when I planned this. Like yeah. two like Screw sympathetically you. southern movies. Is this is this film necessarily sympathetic? It's to sympathetic, the South, to, though, it's sympathetic to him, and he's a southern man, and it's portraying him as not racist when he was. Okay, yeah. Like when Field yeah, of Lost right. Souls did the same thing with the Civil <laughs> yes, War. You're absolutely right. At least it doesn't demonize Northerners. Let's talk about the tagline in this movie. What's the tagline? Drama and spectacle unparalleled. Entertainment undreamed of twenty or 12,000 players. 200 mighty scenes told to the tune of 87 beloved songs. Eight, there's no way there's 87 songs in this movie. I mean, there might be 87 instances of music. Okay. And most of them are hailed to the chief. <laughs> most of them are hailed. So it sounds like the extras were a big part of it. They wanted to make a big deal that there were so many people in this movie. Perhaps. Okay. Uh, this movie's long. <laughs> so I think we should match it. What do you mean we should match it? Minute for minute. No, God, no. Okay, this movie, uh, let me tell the listeners a story of tragedy and loss. So let's just... My up, afternoon. Up, up, for the, up front, this is a movie that is two hours and 34 minutes long. Two, over two and a half hours. And it feels like it's seven hours. And that's probably how long it took me to watch this movie. Because I would watch about 20 minutes of this movie. I would get so sidetracked and so disinterested because it's so unengaging that I would immediately veer off, realize I was veering off, pause the movie, go do something else, and come back to it slightly more refreshed. And then I have to do the same thing like 10 times over. This movie took me forever to get through. When I arrived at your apartment, you were still watching the movie. I was still watching the movie. And to be fair, if you hadn't arrived and I hadn't had been put on the deadline to finish the last 17 minutes, those 17 minutes probably would have taken me an hour. And, I mean, you, at least you saw the best part, finally, when I was here. The best part is him having a stroke. No, and then, like, they wasted the potential of having Herbie become president for a while. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, the best part about this movie is that is the title card at the end is when you realize that you have made it. It's like, it's like running a marathon and you've finally made it. I mean, the, the movie lost, you lost. Don't get me wrong. You're a loser. The fact that you finished this movie, 
So maybe you didn't even finish the marathon. Maybe you got like 17 out of 25 miles and you're just throwing in the towel and when you want to go to Arby's. That's kind of what it feels like at the end of this movie. You just kind of want to go like go to Arby's and be sad. I mean, the movie starts off with a bank comparing Wilson to Lincoln and Washington. Right. And it just goes from there. Yes, it just goes from there. And I thought in the final minutes, my salvation of my sanity would be a credit roll. That like maybe at least four minutes of this film could be like condensed into a credit roll that I could skip. No, because that all happens at the beginning, because this is a movie from 1944 and they didn't understand how credits work. Well, the credits were in the beginning because then they would have trailers at the end because that's why they're called trailers. Is that really why they're called trailers? Yes, because they would trail the movie. (laughs) You just expanded my mind, Dominic. (laughs) So the genres on on IMDb are biography, drama, history, music, and romance. I concur. (laughs) And, like, honestly, though, not to understate, like, the fact this movie is just a sequence of events about Wilson. It's just a storyboard. It's a storyboard with stick figures. And, like, I, I, I'm i not someone who's like, oh, it has to have, you know, an antagonist. It has to have a lot of conflict. It has to be a movie-structured movie. No, it doesn't have to be. A movie-structured movie? You know, like, structured, like a three-act structure movie okay. with all the all trappings right. of such. Yeah. I'm not saying it has to be that, but it has to be engaging. Yes, and it's not. No, it's just a lot of dry scenes with very shallow dialogue and then one good acting role. That's hindered by such shallow dialogue. It looks pretty because of the Technicolor. I know you want to talk about Technicolor. Yeah, let's talk about Technicolor. First thing I do want to mention, though, is that Wilson's daughter, Eleanor, served as an informal counselor on this movie. And journalist Ray Stannard Baker, who was a foremost authority on Wilson, also uh, served as a counselor on this movie. So... They didn't do their job, but... Well, maybe they did their job too well because they just wanted to get the facts down. But they're... But it's so... It's like it's like seven layers of rose-tinted glasses on top of a halo. Well, right, but they, they did their job really well. They got all the facts down. What do you mean? Well, they're just technical advisors. They're saying, oh, this was wrong. Make sure you get this right. Make sure, you know, you gloss over this. I don't want this getting out. I guess so. I guess so. Uh, let's talk about that te- Technicolor. I love Technicolor. I think it looks beautiful. Oh, I it think looks it looks so good. I I think that this film is beautifully shot. I think, and and I I don't know if that's because it, the cinematographer did a superb job or just because I really love Technicolor. I mean, in some ways, Technicolor still looks better than most today movies. I would agree. I think I think the coloring of of scenes outside are gorgeous from the from the hues in the grass to to light coming through windows like there's to, a way there's something about it that makes it look real right right it's beautiful and i and i wish i feel very similarly about like kodachrome and stuff i love kodachrome uh but it's just such a vibrant vibrant style of filmmaking oh, yeah. that i wish there was there was a nostalgia for it to go back to in some capacity and i would actually argue that you have directors nowadays that long for that style so much to the point that they mimic it uh and they, they wes do. anderson comes oh, to yes, mind for sure wes it wet if if, if 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 it was viable for wes to shoot on 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 kodachrome or 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 what or what is it uh what are we talking technicolor. about technicolor technicolor it's been a long day talking to color uh he would do it i guarantee you he would do it i mean if tarantino can get his eight full, hateful eight on like 70 millimeter film <laughs> right and like actual film and, and get a, and, get, and also get a person in the audience to play piano while it's going on did he do that yeah wow select theaters had it on 70 millimeter along with a pianist in house 
So if that can happen, maybe one day we can get Liz Anderson and like Technicolor somehow. That'd be awesome. I mean, they, Moonrise they, Kingdom and Technicolor. Do you they, know how beautiful that would be? They're really cool. They didn't figure out how to like develop it again, but like if they could, I think they, be they should try it. Well, there's a renaissance of analog mediums in various capacities throughout our culture. Very so true. Maybe we'll see that at some point. I, I'm curious. As a film student, have they versed you at all in the, in the wonders of analog type mediums? Somewhat. I mean, it's more just like, well, you kind of need to know this, but not really, because you're going to be entering the industry knowing, having to know this stuff. Okay. So there's like an inherent like, oh, you didn't, you never edited film on a flatbed having to cut actual film. <laughs> right. Because I know in, in the music industry, there's, there's certainly a resurgence of recording on tape again. Oh yeah. I mean, and there's always, you know, there's always a subculture of like recording on VHS, recording on film, but it's considered mm-hmm. a niche at best. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it is starting to come to the mainstream in music a little bit more so. Uh, and, that, and that might just be because of where I am as a film student. True. So how do you want to close this out? It's um, kind of bad. Don't waste your time. It's two and a half hours long. I mean, if you kind of dead inside, if you kind of want <laughs> to see right like, a movie that the Academy love for some reason and just doesn't stand a test of time anymore, watch the artist. <laughs> Don't waste I like your time. the artist. Why? I, I like silent movie styles. Okay. Okay. Sorry, but I, I derailed. But like, like this is a movie that got 10 nominations. It got like La La Land almost height of like h- hype. Right. And it almost didn't deliver at all. Yeah. It's not good. So <laughs> what would you rate Wilson? Um, it, It's not as offending to me as Field of Lost Shoes is. So I would, if we're doing like a one to 10, I know you don't even want to 10, just rate it something, rate it something. I would rate it like, um, here, why don't you rate and, and come back to me? I have to, I have to ponder. I have to like, think about this and, and, and question my life. I would give this movie Wilson a 28 out of 45, a 28 out of 45. I would give this movie, um, Two and a half Confederate flags out of seven. <laughs> you know why I give a twenty-eight out of forty-five? Can you guess? Is that what his mass score is? No, Wilson was the twenty-eighth president. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, forty-five at this time of recording. Drop the mic. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. I feel like that's kind to it though. That's almost like. A little over half, or like an over of a fifty percent, over an F, like an F plus. Hey, if you want to go like school rating, that's about right, like a D minus. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I rate it a couple like, like torn up Confederate flags, and Dom rates it a D minus ish plus. Whatever twenty eight out of forty five is. Math is hard. We'll see you guys next week. What is the movie we're watching and why? The Bystander Theory. It's going to be our first delve into JFK movies. Oh, yeah. And this There's one not is... not enough of those, really. Oh, there there so should many. be more JFK movies. There's so many. <laughs> and this is... And we're doing this one, Bystander Theory, because we were at a video store a few months ago after we had already done our initial list of movies to do. And we saw it. And neither of us had heard of it. I hadn't heard of it doing my research. So I bought it. And now we're here. It's probably going to be bad. We'll see you guys next week with the bystander theory. Catch you later.
As referenced in the show, here is my recording of Moonlight Bay, released in 2014 on the album Rivers Reuben. Voices hum crooning over Moonlight Bay Banjo strum tune while the moonbeams play Hello Memories like these remind me Of the girl that I left behind me Sang love's old sweet song over the moon. 